2: It's a Miller Lite Football Friday on Sports Radio
1: 610. Here's Payne and Pendergast.
2: You know, I, I had to drive a bunch yesterday, John, yep. and I, I kind of wasn't checking in on Twitter or anything. I was just trying to be a good citizen, you know, and not text and drive or anything. Right. Uh, so, But I was vaguely aware of the fact that there was something going on with Russell Wilson. That there was a commotion about <laughs> Russell Wilson. And I felt like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's kind of been that way. I know there was the exchange between his teammates on the sideline last weekend and, uh, they, people feel like there's a, there's, there's gonna, there's a boiling point or something with Russell Wilson. Uh, and then I knew Shannon Sharp was involved somehow. So, so I got to enjoy all this last night when I got home and it was from yesterday morning. Uh, or maybe it was the day before, but I think it was yesterday morning, Shannon Sharp talking about uh, the way the Broncos are mishandling Russell Wilson. And first he started in on Russell Wilson's special privileges.
3: There are some things that he's doing that if he did differently, I think it would go a long way and ingratiate himself. When you played that position, Skip, there's a look, we knew John Elway got certain perks and privileges but he never made us feel that he was better than us mm-hmm. or he treated us different and the coaches didn't treat him different in front of us mm. you can't do that
2: yeah so i mean this is something we'd heard about Russell Wilson in Seattle right that was uh, uh there was a the big the big long-form article about how a lot of the defensive guys hated Russell Wilson and that Russell Wilson was – they were instructed to be nice to Russ and to <laughs> not do all these other things. Um, and I don't know if uh, – just from that alone, does it seem to you from the outside looking in like Russell Wilson has gotten special privileges or just that hes uh, he's just not playing good football?
4: Well, I think it's probably both. Yeah. If you have special privileges in some sense, then you better play you better play your your guts out. And when you don't or you don't play well, then those special privi- privileges are like, "Well, wait a second, what's what's the deal here?" Like this guy's got an office in six parking spots and he's playing like this? Well, if you yeah. gave me half an office in two parking spots, I'd catch 100, you know, I catch 1500 yards of, of passes this year. Yeah. Once you get to that point where you have all, you know, we, here's the thing about this Russell Wilson thing that, that it bothers me to no end. I understand it, but I don't. The Broncos did not have to give him that contract. Right. They didn't have to do it. Yeah.
2: But didn't they though? Because I mean, for the most part, I know we made a lot of Deshaun Watson's no trade clause, but, I mean, for the most part, when it comes to that level, a guy's got a de facto no trade clause because yeah. Russell could have just said, like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm only going to agree to a trade. I'm I'm going to go kicking and screaming, and nobody's going to want to trade for me if I'm kicking and screaming as, uh, so that perhaps there was a, some sort of a deal in good faith worked out beforehand.
4: And probably, you're and you're right, that probably was exactly what it was. And I, I don't know if Russ had a no trade clause. I I know that he had floated it out there the year before that, Hey, if they ever wanted to trade me, yeah. These would be the four that yeah. I would go to. And I don't think the Broncos, if I remember correctly, were in that mix. I that you know the the widely held belief is that Nathaniel Hackett became the head coach because the Broncos thought they had it in to bring Aaron Rodgers and that Russell Wilson was plan B and maybe plan C too. But I remember seeing in week 2. And I think what you had heard from Seattle at that point was he's deteriorating. And then an article came out in the athletic and was like, yeah. And everybody, Oh, Seattle, look, look how foolish Seattle is. And then I watched him in week two and I went, I think Seattle is genius because this is not, this is not working. And look, I just think, I think the word that's been used about Russell is, is corny. It's just the things he does are, you know, Mr. Unlimited. Like what is that, bro? Broncos well, country. Let's yeah. ride. Like, it's just all weird and odd. He's talking to the offensive lineman of the football in front of his face. Like, he just, I don't know. It's just odd. It's different. And when odd and different in some sense, not playing well, uh, you're going to hear about it. And he, unfortunately, has heard a lot about it.
2: The other uh, the other analogy that Shannon Sharp used was uh, he likened it to a, to a band and Russell Wilson being the lead singer.
3: When the lead singer start getting more and they started treating them better, it's like, okay, I'm gone. I'm up out of here. Because we're a group, we're together, and now you get more. Mm. They see that, they'll become resentful. Mm. Actually, they'll start to despise you. The one thing a quarterback has, Skip, is that he can convince those guys to run through a wall for him. Yep. Tom Brady can do that, John Elway can do that, yep. Nate Manning, the greats can do that, uh, uh, Mahomes and Burrow mm. and Allen.
2: Uh, this is where this is where uh, I got to disagree with Shannon Sharp because yes, I agree that russell wilson doesn 't have the same personality as those guys, but uh in the in the i 'll think of rock bands because I know rock bands best, as long as the band is doing well, and if the guy if the most talented person in the band is the lead singer um that band 's sticking together it 's not they 're not leaving unless it gets really bad heroin usually just, uh, tends to be an issue but like. <laughs> If, you yes. know, like John Fogerty was kind of a monster to the other people in his band, or, you know, if you look at Leonard Skinner, it was Ronnie Van Sant and a bunch of other guys um, that there's one main dude holding it all together and he's going to get more attention and they might not be happy about it, but he, he performs. And I think with Russell Wilson, the personality isn't an issue. I don't think the special privileges are an issue at all because other quarterbacks get Special privileges. Like, of, it's not that uncommon for guys to have an office. Yeah. Um, earliest quarterbacks, you hear about that from time to time. I think it's dumb because you, you know where you can go for some peace and quiet when you're not in meetings with your teammates, the meeting room. Like, usually you can be in there all by right. yourself. Like, yeah. if you're if you're in there at 4 a.m. like a claim yard. Yeah, yeah. Um,
4: I think the 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 thought of you know Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes doing those things. I think, I mean, I just watch Josh Allen from afar, and I'm, I'm just envious because I watch how his teammates respond to him and how he stands up there at a press conference, and if he's thrown an interception but it went through somebody's hands and should have been a catch, he talks about, yeah, put that on me because I didn't put that ball in the right spot. That's the thing to me that I look at Josh Allen. I mean, Patrick Mahomes does the same thing. There's a time to call players out, but you never really see that if that happens. Those guys are straight up, they want they want to go the opposite way. They know that a quarterback is the lead singer. They know that the quarterback is the guy that gets all the attention, and yet they just want to be a normal guy as much as they possibly can in the locker room with the guys. It's not possible. It's not possible. And the lead singer uh, analogy, I think, is, is a great one, and I always think of David Ruffin from The Temptations. Yeah, and you're right. I think I think it was heroin that got involved, and he was tremendous. But then heroin got involved, and then he stopped showing up for performances and all that. Russell hasn't stopped showing up, and he hasn't stopped trying, but it's just not working. I think that the the, the corniness in some sense of just Russell, it feels inauthentic to the players, yeah. and I think that's what's tough. Josh Allen doesn't feel that way. Mahomes doesn't feel that way. Uh, the really good ones in the league, they don't feel inauthentic. I mean, you know, Tom Brady's over there smashing surfaces. Um, it feels like he's authentically mad. It's not fake. So I guess with Russell, it feels, outsider looking in, it feels fake. If and Russell I think Wilson that's smashes
2: hard. a tablet, you're you're going to catch him looking for the camera first, right? To be sure that it catch, that it's caught on camera. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. he's
4: married to Sierra, keeping the music thing uh, in this, and so automatically. He has hurdles to overcome with players because he feels like he's at a different, you know, he's at a different level. Yeah, you know, there's never any vitriol at, at Jordan seemingly while they were playing because Jordan was going to carry those Bulls. You know, Jordan could, you know, be in his little side office, you know, playing games with his security guys while the rest of the the rest of the guys were in the locker room getting ready. But Jordan was going to show up and you know put thirty eight and ten on somebody and carry them to a win and will them to a win. So as long as Jordan was doing that, hey, no problem. But if the if his game would have ever um, taken a hit, and all of a sudden he's not doing that, I think we would have heard all about that. So I think it's the ability to communicate and be authentic to your teammates that to me is what drives what a guy is going to do or not do. And I know I know that Davis, bring it back to Houston here, I know Davis has taken a lot of slings and arrows for things that have happened or not happened this year. But it was after the Jacksonville game. I was in a locker room, and I was waiting for the team to come in uh, after the win. And I saw him walk in with A.J. Can, And A.J. kind of had his arm around him. They were talking, and I hear Davis go to him, are you okay, man? I know you went out of the game for a little bit. Are you doing all right? And I just thought it was that moment of connecting with a teammate that had been banged up for a little bit. ended up going back in the game. But Davis checking on him as he's going in. I thought, Davis is pretty authentic. He may not be the the most emotive. Yeah. And he might not be the most exciting guy. But you get the feeling that in and around his teammates, he's a pretty authentic dude. And his teammates respect that for sure. And they absolutely respect how he's handled the last couple of years where he's been in the lineup, that he's been out. He's been in it. He's been out. They respect the fact that he just continues to fight. I think the Broncos look at Russell Wilson and go, "Uh, ah, that dude's not like us, man." I don't know. I don't I don't see it. And then of course his play doesn't match and so it everything's get everything at that point gets amplified.
2: So his teammates KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy stepped up uh, in his defense. Jerry Judy said, "I ain't going to keep looking at these false statements about my boy Russ, man, as a teammate who sees the elite work ethic this man has is incomparable he got an office because he's committed his life to this game i never had a teammate who motivated me more than russ 100 uh he would later go on to further back up his own statement with this statement
5: i just want to get it out the air like that he is a good teammate you know and he is a hard-working teammate and i just feel like i just needed to get that out there because there's a lot of false narratives going around here that i'm getting tired of i seeing what has he meant to you personally the last few months, uh, He meant a lot, man. Just being around Russ, he's a guy that just keeps me motivated. Just the way he go about his business, the way he carries himself, the way he do things around here, he just show, show the, the, the true leader and the, the true pro he is. So having a guy like that, you really see how to really become a pro.
2: Okay. So, uh, Jerry Judy, of course, is a wide receiver, uh, as is KJ Hamler, who says three goes above and beyond to do whatever it takes to win for the team. Y'all not about to bash him and act like he still ain't that same Russ who won a Super Bowl and was a nine time pro bowler. I stand behind my QB. I don't know. That's a whole, I, I feel like it's a very poor argument by KJ Hamler yes. just in that. With a, <laughs> before I ask whether you think, whether you're buying that the two wide receivers who would love to get more targets uh, at any given time are are actually supporting Russ. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what happens with athletes. They get older and then they're not as good. You know, you yeah. know who else? You know who else went to a couple Super Bowls? Uh, Peyton Manning, and he's he's not the same guy anymore. At some point, you end up losing it. Yeah. So, uh, are you buying? Are you buying that, or do you feel like okay, yeah, those are his receivers? Uh, just the same way that Tim Tebow's receivers backed him up back at the day in Denver. Uh, they're not actually feeling it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the yeah they. Just- I don't think they're feeling it, but they don't want to they don't want to smash a teammate. I love that the the question, the second question that Jerry Judy got from the from the reporter was like, Now, now tell me, how did it make you feel talking about Russell Wilson? It was very introspective <laughs> at some at some point. It was therapy. Uh, yeah, it was kind of therapy <laughs> right there. Um I think, you know, Shannon Sharp's probably right. Russ has done a lot of this with his movement and with his athleticism, yeah. and when that starts to go. And I think he is going to be sort of a test case for maybe how teams look at quarterbacks that do it with their mobility. And maybe that impacts a guy like Bryce Young because people say, well, you know, Bryce Young is a lot like Russell Wilson. But because of his play style, and that's the key, it's the play, play style. And Russell's, I don't want to say gotten away with it, he's made his career on making plays as a quarterback know, as opposed to being a quarterback who makes plays he's making plays as a quarterback and now it's gotten to a point where some of those things that maybe maybe he should have learned or done earlier yeah having carried over but also it's a different offense everything's completely different what he is asked to do now is completely different from what he was doing in Seattle mm-hmm. and it's it's like the Mitch Hedberg joke it's like hey you're a chef you make great meals But can you farm? And they're like, they're related, but they're so totally different. And yeah, it's playing quarterback, but what he was doing in Seattle versus what he's doing in Denver are two totally different universes. Yeah, And it's taken a while to kind of get through it. I agree with K.J. Hamler to a degree that, yes, he has pelts up on the wall, and that does matter to a degree that he has done it. He hasn't just forgotten how to play football, but how he plays football is now different because some of the injuries, some of the age, all of that is starting to show a little bit. So he's got to evolve out of Russell Wilson, mobile quarterback who does all that, to Russell Wilson, a guy who can navigate the pocket, deliver in a West Coast passing game, and thrive as that guy for the rest of his career, for long that's going to be.
2: Uh, we Boy, there's some good questions about Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. And Ooh. then, uh, then uh, we got to talk to you. I want to talk to you later. Um... Since we're talking about the aging of a shorter quarterback, uh, you, you make a comparison uh, of Bryce Young to Drew Brees. Yes. That's very interesting to me because Drew Brees aged a lot more gracefully than, than Russell Wilson is right now. Up next, we've got Brooks Cabina. Brooks has a great piece in the Chronicle, uh, kind of stacking the Texans up to the rest of the AFC South. We'll have him on next. Brooks Cabina.
4: Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details.
1: T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Miller Lite Football Friday on Sports Radio 610. Here's Payne and Pindercast.
2: It is Football Friday It's 7.23 in the morning. Sean Pendergast is out, but John Harris is filling in for him. And uh, this means that Brooks Cabina from the Houston Chronicle joins us. Brooks, how are you What's this up? morning? And are you amped up? Are you amped up beyond belief for the Jacksonville Jaguars to come in here and, um, and take their – how many straight drubbings is this? Nine. Is it eight?
6: I think it's nine. Uh, nine. Nine because of this year, the earlier um, – the first game of the year. So uh, the Damian Pierce truck show, um, <laughs> that was the one, the one game you could point to and be like, hey, look, um, that, was, that was extraordinary. So I, I don't know, man. Trevor Lawrence coming into town, 14 touchdowns, one interception in the seven-game stretch and the push of the playoffs. They look like a very much better team. Uh, but, you know, the Texans have made a lot out of the roster that they have left with all the injuries and such, so it could be interesting.
4: All right, so let me start there, Brooks. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence. He's got a bad toe. Let's do some math here. I'll take a bad toe. Let's, at Trevor let's, put Lawrence. It, let's put it all together here. He's got a bad toe. The game's result has no bearing on whether the Jaguars win the AFC South or not. And you're on the road, and you're going to play the AFC South championship next week. What does that formula speak to you about what Doug Peterson might or might not do with Trevor Lawrence on Sunday?
6: Well, if I were him, I'd try and get any advantage I can. And if he's fine, if he can play, if he can play, yeah, he plays. And then you get, if and this is a game that technically you should win. So if you get that one, you got all the more ability to go and win the division. So I, I don't see why you don't take that shot.
4: What if the Texans just go? They say they decide to play him, and the Texans start delivering some shots early to him. You think there's a possibility Doug Peterson could pull a Mike McDaniel as he did with Tua, Tua's was taking to some shots. Leap. He's got a 30 nothing lead, and he takes him out. Do you think he might do that, do it for a half? Brady, they, the Patriots did that with Brady in 09 here. Mm-hmm. They didn't need the game. They were already in the playoffs. They couldn't change their seating. Brady started. Hoyer came in and went back to Brady for a little bit, and then Hoyer finished. Do you think there's a possibility they could do that, getting ready for Week 18 in the Titans?
6: Well, if you're playing the game close and you've already started Trevor Lawrence and it's still within a touchdown, right. like, you're going to keep playing. Right. It's, it, you don't pull the guy until the game's out of hand sure. at that point because then you're just saying, okay, well, game's close. Uh, we're not going to play our guy anymore. Yeah. And I don't think that many coaches would play that way, especially how Doug Peterson's been talking about how there's no, no, uh, no game that doesn't matter. Right. So if they decide to play Trevor Lawrence, he's going to play until it doesn't matter anymore.
2: Uh, Brooks, you've got a piece in the Chronicle right now where you power rank the position groups of the AFC South. Uh, and it's really interesting. It's a, it's an emotional response I didn't expect to have this morning <laughs> was getting angry over any of your power rankings of these things. Okay. And, and honestly, I'm not even justified in being angry at it. And yet uh, I love this kid so much that I find it. An abomination that you've ranked Damian Pierce the third best running back in the AFC South when Jonathan Taylor is a shell of his former self. And I don't know if Derrick Henry is going to be able, able to walk in 2023.
6: Well, look, it's an entire running back room. That's what I've powered out ah. right here. So it's <laughs> not it's not the one running back that you go in and say, okay, here's the group. Uh, I mean, here's, here's the situation. Derrick Henry is King Henry. He's at the top right now. And I was projecting it towards the future. And yeah. in entirety, the Colts' backfield, in my opinion, was in a better position going forward than the Texans right now. I mean, Damian Pierce had a ton of carries. Um, you know, he's definitely projecting to be really good, um, but they definitely need more help. And when you look at the disparity between him and the rest of the running backs, it's 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 dire. So uh, I, I feel like that's a situation, and you can see in the article too, they're in the best position to better that group going forward because Travis Etienne, um you know, he's you know a first round guy. Uh you got Derek Henry and Jonathan Taylor who are gonna be up for extensions soon if they want to keep those guys. You got a fourth rounder and Damian Pierce, so that puts the Texans in position to where they're financially um better off than the other teams to go and add at number two. So um I mean that I, I think that when you look at the AFC South, I know Levy Smith and other coaches has said earlier in the year like when you look around, what they're able to do, they they want, in some ways, some divisions kind of mirror each other offensively, or at least adapt each other to beat each other because they play each other twice a year, um, and everyone seems to have at least an established back who could be a perennial thousand-yard rusher, um, and that we're starting to see that turn across the league. So, um, I I I do think Damian Pierce is better than three. I think obviously Jonathan Taylor's been hurt this year, so his production has been better. So. Um, there you go. If, if that makes you feel it's, any... You, you like to find something to give you some anger in the morning. I, so Yeah,
2: I do. I, I, it wakes me up. i no, I did I that one for like, you. Like I, like I said, it was irrational. It was more based on me liking Damian Pierce a lot. Yeah, but right, like I thought it. through it. I'm like, okay, yes, yeah, so obviously this makes sense. And yet, yeah, they are running... At any given time, with a running back like Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor, you know, they're, just, they're right at the brink of falling off a cliff. So that's my, that's my hope. Well, is along those lines, sports. too,
4: Seth, Henry, Taylor, Pierce, Etienne. If you just if you just ranked one through 32 in the league, the running backs, those four are probably in the top 13, 14. And they're definitely in the upper half. I sure. mean, they're definitely in the upper half. So, I mean, Damian being three behind in some sense, because that's what we're looking at when we're talking about running backs. And I think that's one of the things, and uh, Brooks, I'll ask you this question. I think it's one of the things that the Texans need to do is find that other bulk here. I think Daria's given them some good reps at times back there. but They need to have somebody that they – I thought Jacksonville had the right mix with Robinson and Etienne, and obviously the Jaguars didn't see it that way Mm -hmm. and decided to go a different way. This running back class coming out of the draft is outstanding. There's a ball carrier of, and it doesn't have to be the same Damian Pierce type. Like The Titans went and got Hassan Haskins because he's the poor man's version of Derrick Henry. You don't have to get the poor man's version of Damian Pierce. You just have to get a guy that can do something when Pierce goes off the field and give you positive reps. So I ask you, of these units that you looked at, for the Texans, which one do you think undergoes the biggest renovation going into 2023?
6: Offensively, defensively, both. Well, inside off- of the ball. Offensively, I think wide receiver definitely gets an overhaul um, because you really don't know right now at this situation if Brandon Cooks is going to still be with you next year. Sure. So that whole entire lineup, um, I mean, has been shuffling all year, um, and they seem to find some consistency after a waiver pickup of Amari Rodgers, but. I mean, all, a lot of these guys are on one-year deals, like Chris Moore. Yep. This could have a lot of of change. But one of the reasons why I feel like that position group specifically will change a lot is, um, and it's not really predictable, is because if you look at the 2023 free agent um, cycle at that position, it's it's not elite. I mean, it's it's led by names like Juju Smith-Schuster and DJ right. Chark. Right. They're not. This is not last year where you could go and find. Um, different guys that were available. I mean, the Jags threw uh, close to a hundred million dollars for guys right. like Christian Kirk and Zay uh, Jones. And, yeah, so it's not available right there. So it's I, I bring it up in the article: is that as bad a shape situation to where the Texans have to go back and try and make amends with Cooks? And would he listen? And would they able be able to move forward? Or is this a situation where okay, maybe you can get a mid round pick for Cooks? Maybe use that in a trade-up situation like is prone to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have Nico Collins back. And then remember John Mechie has been out this year battling leukemia. He's expected to be back. And then you find another one in the draft. Maybe that first overall pick goes to a quarterback. And then I I remember last year how those three picks right in a row with wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver seemed to move the Texans back to 15 where they picked Kenyon Green. Maybe that's another slot where you can pick up another uh, wide receiver. So I think that definitely, when you look at how the offense has been able to open up, hasn't been able to open up throughout the year. That's a position that I think they definitely want to address, and and could look very different when we um, look at this team next year.
2: Yeah, you know, I've I've been trying to evaluate my feelings about Brandon Cooks because I look, Laramie Tunsil is a perfect example of a guy that seemed like. Him and the organization might be at odds, or there was drama there, or they're, they're, they were headed for um, some kind of a, a parting of the ways, and now he's like the favorite dude on the team. Yeah. Uh, so things can change a lot with Brandon Cooks. How realistic is it if you like if you if you would even speculate percentage chance that actually Brandon Cooks and the team will be a okay and on the same page by March next year?
6: I think it's more likely than not that he's not with the Texans, um, even after. His game winning touchdown catch. He tweeted out almost immediately after the game, still here with kind of a smirk emoji. And, you know, I went and talked to him. I said, so, you know, what does that mean? And it was very much game oriented. Hey, I'm out here with my teammates and I'm glad we got a win. I like to battle with them every chance I get. It did not project to like, oh, now I've suddenly felt a lot better about my situation. Um, yeah, I yeah. think he's still leaving the door open for all the possibilities that come up. And a lot of that also has to do with how does this whole team end up once the season's over. I mean, we could see an entire offensive staff overhaul, and that could also dictate how players feel. And especially Brandon Cooks, who would then maybe, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm just throwing things out there. If you're looking at the less likely than not situation – can they bring in a coach that would excite him? Um, would excite the rest of the team? Um, I, I I still think uh, I still think it's more likely that they're probably going to try and acquire some more uh, picks with him. Uh, try and try and uh, move on because they, you know, it's it's he's getting into the scenario where, um, you know, it, it, I was looking at some of the cap hits for the next couple of years. Oh, I mean, he's going to grow eventually to twenty four million. Yeah. Um. And is that a player that you have confidence in? Not only, you know, is he bought in, but at thirty-one, is he going to be as productive at that time period? And if you have a chance to move on and maybe refresh the deck here before things start, before you start allocating money to other players, I mean, Laramie Tonsils made it clear how much money he wants to make. Yeah. Um. But I think, I think it's going to be. But with
4: Laramie, you're still getting you're getting Pro Bowl, All Pro type play from him now. He's been a Pro Bowler for three years. You've gotten that play from Laramie, so sure. And, and it's a position at left tackle where you feel okay. That's a prior, priority position. I know a lot of people out there think, well, wide receiver is now. Look at all the great teams they've got. They've got a guy, but there's so many wide receivers that are coming from the college ranks that you could take a shot on whether it's first round. People will tell you that this this receiver draft, they'll sit there and tell you, oh, it's not great. Yeah, there's no Jamar Chase, and there's probably not even a Drake London, or maybe not even a Chris Olave. But there are a couple of really good receivers in this draft and there's depth at that receiver position that you can get better at going forward. Bruce, I want to ask you about how the Texans have played the last three or four weeks. They get the win last week against Tennessee, played really well against Dallas and Kansas City, but fell short, I should say, really well. They played well Mm -hmm. enough to win those games but couldn't beat double-digit win teams. How do you feel about this team now going into Week 17 versus how you felt middle of the season from a in-the-moment, immediate standpoint, and building for the future standpoint?
6: I think they've made things a lot more confusing and maybe a little bit more difficult than they need to be Yeah. because even though that they're playing better, it's not a team that you expect to win consistently. So let's take Davis Mills, for example. Um, no one had a lower EPA, which is kind of a stat that shows how much plays affect how you were able to score, than Davis Mills in his first Series of starts at a certain snap level, basically by starters in the league. The last three games, he's played in the top ten. But he's also turned the ball over. He's also coughed up the ball at the goal line. He's also missed some throws. He's also looked uncomfortable at times. But the Texans have seemed to appreciate players who put them in position to win and control the ball offensively. So then, does that then complicate, kind of like last year where Mills put on kind of a show towards the end and earn some confidence going to next year. Does this now set up, okay, now the Texans have a little more confidence in their quarterback and maybe um, don't have to go and pick Bryce Young, number one overall. Maybe they go somewhere else. I think there, I feel kind of that way in a microcosm about the rest of it. Take Oboe Okoronkwo, right? Yep. I mean, he's been playing outstanding the past four or five weeks, Ever really since they started him. So at Since that the
4: Giants time, game week nine, that was the game to me where he really popped in that Giants game. Like, wow, 45 makes yeah. making some plays.
6: And I mean, obviously teams like the Jaguars have said, you know what? It doesn't matter how many times you pick a first round edge rush. You can never have too many of them. Yeah. But at that point, too, does his play also affect how you use that number one overall pick? And is the defense significantly better? OK, Derek Henry didn't rush for 200 yards on you, but he got pretty close to 140 in a forty eight yard touchdown run, I mean how much the rest of this team actually is playing up, and is there does this then give you more confidence if you're Cal McNair or Nick Casario to say you know what when given more players, this scheme offensively or defensively could work I mean in some ways um you you'd had clarity in the middle of the season where you're yeah. like okay now it's it, we've we've seen where where this needs to go. We just need to reshuffle the deck here, get a new coach in get a, get use those picks those Uh, Situations to get better, and I mean, when you look, I I think the Texans are going to be in a situation where Casario is a frugal guy when it comes to money, anyway. But when you start seeing players clamoring for money, I think a lot of that can evaporate pretty quickly. Um, You look at how much money the Jaguars spent last year—close to a billion dollars—to get all these players. I mean, it's it's top heavy. They played it. They they paid you know a competitive tax to get two wide receivers at a hundred million dollars, and then. Uh, a couple of linebackers that cost almost as much. So, you know, I was just doing some calculations if you know Larry Mittunzel was going to reset the market. I mean, let's say like he was making it at at least twenty five million. He's making twenty three right. million. So that's two million more. He's probably going to want to make more than that. But you go up to twenty twenty four and then you look down the line, they only got twenty one players under contract if you re sign him. And I'm looking at over the cap, which is great. I right. like using their little calculations there. You still have to sign thirty more players sure. and you've only got five million on average to go. So who are you going to really source toward? And that position, too, is interesting because you have both him and Titus Howard yep. making top-of-the-line money in 2023, and then that can affect how you draft the next two years. So there's, I, I feel like there's still a lot of questions, but it may be more complicated because now you might have more confidence in some yeah. players that you didn't, yeah. and maybe it, would it was better off when you didn't. Yeah. So yeah. now you've got some tough calls.
2: All right. Hey, Brooks Cabina from Houston Chronicle. Brooks, uh, look forward to reading your stuff this weekend. I know you've got a piece about the, uh, the Texans Nutrition Department coming up. Coming up next, uh, we've got a really, really funny story that J.J. Watt told in his press conference as he addressed his retirement yesterday The Miller Lite Football Friday on Sports Radio 610. Live from the Twin Peaks Studios, here's Pain and Pendergast. So, J.J. Watt, a couple days ago, tweeted out something that wasn't very cryptic. It wasn't a direct announcement of his retirement. And uh, yesterday, he, he met, met it head-on and answered questions about it. He has for a couple days now. Um, but one of the... One of the funnier things I've heard about a guy retiring um, was this story that J.J. Watt told in his press conference. And there's a, uh, the video to which he's referring, the, we will play at the tail end of this.
5: I'll tell you the best story. This is by far the best, hands down, without a question. Um, so I, I posted the tweet yesterday, and then I just kind of put my phone down because I knew it would be crazy. Um, but I'm scrolling through it, and there's this number that I don't recognize that FaceTimes me. Like it's, and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to answer a FaceTime I don't know. So I just let it go to voicemail, and then I get a text from that number. And it's a voice memo. And I'm like, who is this number? So I play the voice memo, and it's – I wish I could play it so bad. I wish so bad. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him if I can later. I don't want to now. And it is, like, incoherent, complete incoherence. And it's – and I'm like, what the hell is this? And I I literally thought it was, like, distorted from from the phone. So ten seconds later, a picture comes through. And it's, it's Jesse Lucchetta, our rookie outside linebacker, and he has, like, cotton balls in both of his mouth. He just got his wisdom teeth out.
2: <laughs>
5: he's high off his ass. He has no clue what he's doing. And it, and he sent, like, in the message, it says, like, JJ, I just heard you're retiring. I, all I want is a jersey at the end of the season. Today, today,
3: I got the season. I need to sign 30JJ. JJ. That's all I want to call it, JJ. That's all. Bye, JJ. <laughs> a,
2: it's the bye, JJ, at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the it way, sounds
4: so <laughs> ominous. Yeah. Yeah. When JJ, JJ said that he
2: thought it was, uh, that he thought it was the phone distorting it. I don't know if I would have heard that at all. I would have thought it was just a really creepy dude that had gotten my phone somehow. And uh, and, and I would have been really weirded out about it.
4: Yeah, that was uh It was funny to hear it. Then you, you realize, okay. I mean, imagine if you're JJ that day. He talked about this at his press conference. I mean, he had hundreds, hundreds of text messages. I mean, hundreds of text yeah. messages. And then he gets that one, and it's like, what? <laughs> what is this? It's just a jersey. <laughs> it's after his wisdom teeth. But I can imagine you find out, hey, by the way, your teammate and soon-to-be Hall of Famer J.J. Watt is retiring. Oh, and you're just completely high on life after your wisdom teeth. You're like, I got to get that jersey now or I'm not getting it. So you know what? J.J. gets him a good one.
2: You know what? J.J. is actually pretty good at handling um, situations like that when people are – uh not in the right mind cuz there was one time what i used to do when i was uh, first learning video editing every now and then you know i'd uh, I'd, I'd wake up in the morning yeah. in the off season when i tend to let loose a little bit more uh-huh. and i might realize i'd had a few drinks more than i had <laughs> planned and that i had done some editing in the <laughs> evening um but there was one night where i there was a there was a defensive lineman for the texans um who oh, I was getting upset with because he wasn't running a game the right way. Uh, this was just this year. So yeah. JJ wasn't with the Texans anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's Kurt Heinisch. So Kurt Heinisch, when he was running, uh, when they were running ET games, yeah. Kurt Heinisch was like staring at the end. So the end was the knife <laughs> yeah, down. I know what
4: you're talking about. So
2: yeah. The end is supposed to knife down <laughs> and then the tackle loops around. Right. But Heinisch would like stare out at the defensive end, which tells the guard, Oh, hey, that yeah. guy's coming in. Yeah. So the guard would just be sitting there waiting for the defensive end and bash him. So I kind of like did a little film breakdown of it, but I was feeling kind of loose. And I got pretty, I got pretty animated and aggressive and talking about how Kurt Heinrich was screwing his buddy by, <laughs> you know, screwing him over by not, by not doing And, uh, I sent it to JJ. I was like, Hey, what do you think of this?
5: fellow defensive lineman
2: yeah, JJ texted back, he's like, Yeah, you know, I think that's it's not the sure. worst thing in the world, and lots of you know, lots of veteran players have a hard time with that, too. And I don't know, maybe you could try to frame it more positively. I hey, right a good point, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> and I always felt I felt uh, I felt grateful the next day that uh, I, I had I would have felt bad about it if I had put yeah. that out. I usually feel like even when I trashed Trevor Penning with a video <laughs> breakdown I did of Trevor Penning. I even felt bad about that uh even though I despise the kid cuz he's still a he's still a young guy, you know.
4: <laughs> I, I learned mine now I I learned it sober, but I learned mine having, you know, my thoughts on Dwayne Brown uh many years ago during a draft and I'm like, "Hey, man, maybe I can frame that. <laughs> I think JJ I think he could have framed that a little bit better. He could have phrased it a little bit better." I mean, obviously, the Texans... Don't, I, don't
2: make it sound like a personal attack. Yeah. yeah.
4: You know, obviously, you know, on camera for the Texans, I've got to make sure that I phrase it and frame it properly as best we possibly can. But there are moments, man. There there are moments. I know when Mark and I came in after that Washington game this year, we were just scratching our heads like, I don't know how we can frame this in a much more positive <laughs> manner. This is going to get hard. But I know exactly what you're talking about with Heidus because I, I saw it too. I was like... He's just looking where he's going, what's he doing? So and I think that also kind of goes to where, you know, talking about, you know, twenty twenty three with his team with Brooks. I think over the last three or four weeks, I've been I've been pretty encouraged by younger players. I think one of the issues you look back and you think, okay, Oboe Koronquo has had this really good year. Well, it's essentially a contract year because he was here on a one year deal. Laramie Tunsil, he's been really good this year he's played really good football minus the fall starts obviously he's played really well well he's in a contract situation too and so you sitting there going yeah you'd like to bring all those guys back but you have to make sure that they resign with you the guys that are playing pretty well at that point so i think i feel better seth about what the young guys are doing In the yeah. middle of the season i'm like man these guys really aren't making the strides that we all wanted to see, maybe except for Damian, but obviously running back is going to be relying on the offensive line, et cetera. Now, Kenyon has his struggles, but I'll make sure I say this publicly. You said it perfectly about Kenyon Green. He needs this entire offseason to get his body completely pro-ready. Yeah. He got his body draft-ready last year. He needs yeah. to get his body pro-ready yeah. for what he's going to handle going forward because twice a year he's going to see 98 from Tennessee, twice yeah. a year and he's not going to want to end up on a highlight reel anymore. So I think Kenyon gets better, but we've seen Jalen Petrie take enormous strides. Christian Harris has taken enormous strides. Uh, Even the guys you mentioned, Heinisch, uh, even Booker's playing better inside. Roy Lopez is playing the best football of his career in his second year. Guys are starting to ascend, and that is what we've wanted to see because we knew this year was going to be tough. But can you ascend? Can the young players get better week after week after week? And although they seem to hit a wall midseason, as they got to the sexier part of the schedule, they started picking their games up. Uh, Jalen Petrie in particular. And I think the results have sort of borne that out. So I want to see the young guys continue over these last two games to show that growth. That give you confidence. that going into 2023. Yeah, they can take even bigger strides and make that 2023 team one that can – you know, start making some noise is what you want to do. But the young players are starting to make those strides, and that starts giving me, and I think a lot of fans hope, Seth.
2: Yeah, that's – um, I, 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 the some of the stuff that's been going on in the defensive line has been very encouraging. The other um, – as J.J. told the story about his teammate that had uh, left him a message well under the influence uh, post-dentist, it, it reminded me of Joe Burrow uh, being <laughs> – when, on the, when he was on the Manning cast, they presented him with a, vi- a video that had gone viral, I didn't know it about it until the, the Manning cast, of a young lady who very much loves Joe Burrow after she had her wisdom teeth out.
1: I know, he's got a girlfriend, <laughs> and I'm happy for him, but I'm not happy
8: for me in that situation. <laughs> and he's talented. and let's be honest I go for
4: ambition not look <laughs> she sounds like my daughter when I told her that Kaimi Fairbairn had gotten engaged my daughter oh, really? loves She's Kaimi a- oh yeah and my daughter's going back to LA today yeah um but when Kaimi got engaged or had a girlfriend and, and I told I mean my daughter was not under wisdom teeth drugs at any point but she was very very disappointed that fair Fairbairn had a significant other. Yeah, because that's one uh, of her favorite players. As I say it in air quotes, she's sleeping right now, so she won't get mad at me. But but yeah, she was she was very much uh, a fan of number seven for sure.
2: Yeah, you should have gotten her. Uh, you should have gotten gotten some dental work. She could have gotten gone viral <laughs> after that. that was, yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, that video, the way the cast edited it. She, it did make it sound. Joe Burrow said it's like, it makes it sound like she's calling me ugly because she doesn't go for looks. Like she doesn't care about, she likes ambition, not looks. Um, in the original video, I can't remember how they edited it, but it did not, it did not sound at all like she was, uh, saying he wasn't good looking or anything. I think she specifically said like he is handsome, but she doesn't care about looks or something like that. Um, she cares about looks, but, uh, time for headlines.
7: Payne and Pendergast with today's headlines brought to you by BaywayJeep.com.
2: John, at the end of this, I might just have you give me your hot college football takes as uh, our last headline, I but can't. because since you're so you're so in tune with all the bowl games, but last night on Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime, the Cowboys defeated the Titans twenty-seven to thirteen. Dak Prescott turned the ball over three times in that game, two interceptions, one fumble and he John he's turned the ball over he's thrown seven interceptions in the last four games Mike McCarthy insists it's not a problem I have a I have a hard time believing that seven interceptions in four games isn't a problem
4: yeah the one the first one he threw again like the Jacksonville game went through the hands of yeah. A receiver. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. It was kind of flukish. That was a, and Bayard picked it off. But then the one right before the half was inexcusable. Yeah. It was totally inexcusable. He's got Dalton Schultz on the sale route, and Bayard is right in his hip pocket. It's like, no, you don't throw <laughs> that ball. And Bayard, you know, jumps in front of it. I think Bayard is one of the top five safety. He's probably one of the top three safeties in the league. He's tremendous. And he had that's his second interception. That one was totally on Dak. So there's defending Dak to a point. He's had a couple of interceptions that should not have been uh, that should not have been on him. The one he threw against us, MJ Stewart got a hand on, then Noah Brown gets a hand on, and then Tremont Smith picks it off. But his other interception was just got awful. Even though his arm was hit, he should have never he should have moved in the pocket to make a better delivery, and he didn't. That part that for me, if I am a Cowboys fan, is very concerning. The fact that yeah, it's three, and yeah, one of them's not on Dak. But, man, what's going to happen when you get into playoffs? Cowboys are going to have to go on the road. Are they Are going to go to Tampa? And I know Tampa's not good. Or whoever wins the NFC South. Yeah. They're going to go on the road to play that particular team. Is he going to make a mistake that costs you in that particular game when it's a game that you absolutely 100% should win? Yeah, I, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm a little bit panicked about it. And I love Dak. I love Dak. Dak's everything I want in a quarterback. But the interceptions have just been... They've been odd and weird for a guy that smart and that productive throughout his career. It's been strange.
2: I wonder if you think, in, in his heart of hearts, do you think Dak Prescott has one eye on Sean Payton and uh, like maybe wonders, like, uh, what uh, what might things? be?" I man, every time I would, ever since the Texans game against the Cowboys, uh, and, and this goes back a long ways with me with Mike McCarthy. Um, I I get very annoyed with the way his team's play at times uh. um and I and I feel like it shows in his demeanor. And I don't usually do this. I don't like doing uh you know body language analysis or anything. But going back to when they blew the game to the Seahawks because they had a big lead at halftime in the NFC Championship game. Yep. I just feel like he doesn't have a clue on how to how to keep his team uh, d- dialed in and tuned in. And they were sloppy against the Texans. They go in against a Titans team last night. that uh, they, they were banged up to begin with, and then they sat half their guys. Right. And that was much more of a game than it should have been.
4: Yeah, that game was really a game until Josh Dobbs threw interception at 27-13. I mean, the Cowboys took care of business. This is one thing, Seth, and i get your thoughts on this. Yes. It's felt like from... The media standpoint, we want to see the same team every single week. Yeah. Consistency. Give it to us. This is what we want. This is the type of team that's there. And yet, I feel like every single week, we maybe not see – we don't see a completely different team, but we do see a different team. There are guys banged up. Okay, we got two or three guys out this week. All right, we're missing Dak this week. Or, you know, in our case – You know, Derek Stingley's been out. Damian Pierce has been out. Okay, how do you reconfigure it for this week? How do you reconfigure it for next week? I feel like the season being so long, it's in roller coaster even more than it's ever been, and yet we want to see that brilliance every single week, and when we don't, we're so quick to go, hey, you guys suck, but then you turn around and you win a game that maybe you shouldn't. You're like, man, look at what they're doing. They're going to the Super Bowl. It's this swing of emotion, yeah. and it's like, man, just let the season play out and let it go, and they're going to be hills and valleys, and understand there are going to be hills and valleys this season. I don't know. Maybe we've lost that part, but I feel like with the Cowboys, there's a lot of talent there, but I agree with you. I, I do think that with McCarthy, there's always something where you're like, ah, this team, it's just it's on the something verge. something that
2: kept him and Aaron Rodgers from uh, you know, ultimately and, getting along. which yet... I mean,
4: and yet yeah. they've won 12 games. 12 yeah, yeah. They've won 12 games in a league that's extremely difficult to win Right? Games.
2: It, yeah, and um, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. No, but that's what happened. Look, the year that Kansas City won the Super Bowl, they lost three games in a row to the AFC South. Yes. Um, yes. Not three games in a row, but the three games against the AFC South, they, they, they lost when Mahomes was a little bit banged up. Mike Vrabel, who benched Malik Willis uh, in favor of Josh Dobbs for the evening. Uh, a move which led to a whole lot of speculation about whether it was just to save Malik Willis uh, and not subject him to a bad offensive line or whether it was to see if Josh Dobbs was better. Uh, he's, he claims he's excited about Malik Willis. Does
5: that say anything, uh, Mike, about Malik's progress, the fact that you bringing a guy from the practice squad? I mean, I think that... Uh... Yeah, you know, we're gonna. We're excited about having Malik. We are. We're excited about some of the things that he's done, and and we'll continue to, you know, just just digest this over the weekend and kind of make a decision.
2: So, uh, real quick, you're listening to KILT and KILT HD two in Odyssey Station. I'm uh, I'm not buying that he's excited about Malik Willis. I don't, I don't think there's any part of him watching Malik Willis in the course of three games throw zero touchdowns, three interceptions. These are the three games he started. Uh, he's passed for a total of, I believe, 247 yards in those three games combined. Uh, it's not been good for Malik Willis. I don't think, I don't, I was surprised that people were surprised that Malik Willis was benched for this game. And I don't think it was just to, to preserve his health. Malik Willis if if they really want him to start in the playoffs needs as many reps as he can get
4: yeah this was the Tom Savage situation from back in 2016 for Texas fans that remember that they put they put Tom into the game against Jacksonville bailed him out in the second half started against the Bengals the next week got the win so the game against Tennessee didn't matter in week 17 but he needed the reps he absolutely needed the reps so if they were going to play Malik Willis in week 18 he needed the reps and he just didn't He didn't get them, and they went with Josh Dobbs. That Tennessee offense, even though scoring 13 points, it didn't have Derrick Henry. The offensive line is a complete shell of itself from what it was. I heard Taylor Luan talking about this. The only only starter that's there from the beginning of the year is Aaron Brewer, who's 276 pounds soaking wet playing guard. That's the only starter they have left on that offensive line. And Josh Dobbs moved that team – I don't say up and down the field, but he moved the ball and threw it well if his receivers caught it. I don't know how many passes Robert Woods and Traylon Burks were going to drop. Burks it was, was taking them
2: down. Oh God,
4: yeah. I'm like, golly. I mean, bricks for hands. It was just ridiculous all night. And Dobbs, I think, showed, hey, wait a second. Maybe it was Malik Willis that was bogging this offense down. The hard part is you may it's a third round. And look, it's a similar situation to what the Texans were in with Davis Mills. You yeah. take a shot on a third-rounder that's got some potential and some upside, and you see what you've got. But fans get so excited about quarterbacks, so excited that they have this visceral reaction, and then they have to step back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He was drafted in the third round for a reason, guys. Yeah, he's a, he's, like, he's a, he's you a project. You get right? Yeah. He's a right. project. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with Davis Mills. Like, look, if the project doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not like the Jets, Zach Wilson, Project going awry, it's right. a third round and it doesn't work. So you move well, that's,
2: on. Yeah, and that's always what happens too. In August, everybody is cool with saying like, "Well, this guy might take three years to develop." Right. And then, like three months later, you're. Yeah. I'm. I'm guilty of this. You're irate that this guy's taking so long to develop. Right. Why yeah, did I he think go Malik, for
4: three eighty last night four touchdowns? You
2: yeah, know. and I, like, I think the Titans knew that Malik Willis was going to be a project, and I, and I think which is why I don't think they should be eager to necessarily push him back out there or at least not to I mean uh Vrabel was asked last night that if Malik or if Dobbs had struggled more would he have been willing to put Malik Willis in he said he kind of it's funny I don't think he wanted to give a soundbite he just grunted and nodded yes
4: (laughs) (laughs) it was very Belichickian except a little
2: bit more Yeah. Yeah, yeah um did Kuharski
4: uh, ask him the question? If Paul Kuharski asked him the question, then that's the response Karski's going to get from Vrabel.
2: It wasn't. Karski went – those two went back and forth about something else. Oh, I know right. they're a, they are they, they have a love-hate relationship. Oh, yeah. Um, last headline, Pele, uh, who we knew had been ill, uh, but who was a Brazilian king of soccer, won a record three World Cups – Became the most commanding sports figure of the last century worldwide. Uh, died Thursday. He was 82 years old. This is something that I didn't know about Pele. Uh, he was so famous that in 1967... Factions of a civil war in Nigeria agreed to a ceasefire so he could play in an exhibition match in the country. Uh, basically, they, they, they called a ceasefire just so they could watch Pele play soccer. Um, which is, yeah, this is, uh, I think, I think most people are age, especially John and older, under, like, that was my first exposure as a kid to the, like just how big soccer was right. worldwide when it was explained to me just what a big deal Pele was. And then when he came to play in the U.S., what a big deal it was. That was a massive deal. I mean, I yeah. remember
4: being a kid, and I didn't know who Pele was. I didn't really know what soccer was. Soccer just wasn't a sport that was played in Wisconsin where I, where I was growing up. It wasn't until I got here and I realized how big soccer actually was. But Pele, everybody knew Pele, and he's playing in the United States. It'd be a, Think about it this way. For people who are like, eh, I didn't really get to see him. I'm younger. I'm younger. Think if Messi, Lionel Messi, came to the United States to play in MLS yeah, and came out of retirement to come to the United States to play in MLS. That's what it would be like. That's what it was like back in the '70s when Pele went to New York Cosmos. Except with the,
2: except with a bigger, an even bigger talent disparity, right, you know, Back right, right. then versus now. Yeah. You know, like now that you now that Americans are playing it overseas so much, it's it's a little. It would still be huge with Pele. Don't get right. me wrong, but not as. Uh, it was just a vast difference between uh, Pele and, and other people. Yeah,
4: no doubt. And yeah. there was a, there's a thirty for thirty on that New York Cosmos team, and it's riveting. I mean, I love documentaries, which I think people have found out because I've talked about it a couple times. But it's riveting when they talk about that Cosmos team and they talk about early uh, – what was it called? Was it NASL? I can't remember what the actual name. It wasn't MLS. I can't remember what the name of it, NASL. But either way – when they,
2: How old was he when he came to when he came to play in that He league? had
4: come out of retirement. So he had been retired. I don't know for how long he had been retired. He had been retired and then came and played here. So I think he was probably 36, 37. He was
2: 36. Yeah. yeah.
4: So that's when he came. He still had game left. There's no doubt about yeah. that. He had game left for sure. Um, but that's what it would be like. If Lionel Messi decided, yeah, I'm going to hang him up. And then a year later, he gets enticed by Jeff Bezos, buys an MLS team, and pays him a billion dollars to come play in the United States. That's what Pele did to come play with the Cosmos. And it really triggered. I mean, in the 70s, they had 75,000 people at the old Meadowlands watching yeah. soccer. I mean, that was a you real know, like-
2: of. You know, it would probably be like, John, as if, if Jordan in his last year, like after, after his last year in the NBA, if he went to go play in, in, like in a, in a European league right. or in an Asian league yeah. or something. Right. Yeah. Like it would just be that European, well, European league at the time he retired.
4: You mean like Stefan Marbury going to China?
2: Yeah. 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 I'd
4: chuckle a little bit because it wouldn't <laughs> quite be like that. But, yeah, no, it would, I know, but, it's no, having I'm thinking that impact of, I'm in a of location. Yeah. It would be like Jordan
2: going to China more so yeah. than Europe because by that time, European de- basketball had developed. So, yeah, um, it would be like Jordan going to China. So,
0: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage.